Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, a podcast for Catholics who love tradition and want more of it. My name is Chris, and you're listening to episode 53. And today on our show, we have a fantastic returning guest, good friend of mine, Father Steve Marsh. Father Steve, hey, how you doing? welcome to the program, my friend. How are you? Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for those who, who don't know Father Steve, if you're new to the podcast, I mean, we've had him on uh, a number of times. Uh, this is kind of our first time, just you and me going back and forth, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, we talked I'm not about being in person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. It really does. Um, the yeah, we we talked about the luminous chaplet. That was a good one. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> that wasn't even the topic we were supposed to talk about. <laughs> we just went so far off the rail. <laughs> uh, that was a good one. Yeah, it was a good it one. Was, it was fun. Uh, we're people are still talking about that one. So, <laughs> so yeah. So maybe a little bit of an introduction. So Father Steve and I. We met uh, well before he was uh, ordained a priest. We worked in youth ministry together, um, what was it, 50, 60 years ago? I don't know. It feels yeah, like it. Yeah, you know, longer than, than time itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And like we just, we've remained friends uh, since then. Um, Father Steve and I have, uh, we were part of Team Orthodoxy, which was a, I don't know what you want to call it, a blogging team. Uh, we ran yeah. a blog together with a, with a group of friends. Actually, uh, Mike and Brooke were part of that too, and Julie. Um, and uh, Father Steve's sister, shout out to Jen. Jen, yeah. yeah she'll never hear this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, In the time of the resurrection, she will find out. <laughs> uh, it's true, yeah. Um yeah, no, like we've, we've just remained BFFs for, for a long time. Um, and, uh, yeah, now Father Steve is, uh, ordained a priest of Jesus Christ and now is, uh, serving as parochial vicar, right? Of, uh, the parishes of St. Michael's in Leamington and Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament in Wheatley. Wheatley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I won't be parochial vicar for much longer. You won't. What does that mean? Um, I'll become the associate pastor. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> what what's the difference between There really those? isn't. It's just a title on paper mostly. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But it, it to to the people they feel it more connected like, "Oh, now we're not just having these random names like parochial vicar that I don't know what that means, but we have a pastor and an associate pastor. Two pastors. They can relate to that." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. No, like it's it's been kind of cool watching like especially like I said like you know we've been friends for a long time so seeing you grow and and um really take on that that role as pastor and I mean now in like this time it's I mean it's even taken on a whole different kind of character in a way um you're now a live stream celebrity like what's that all about <laughs> Televangelist. <laughs> I, I can't believe i had like a consistent three or four people who watched me make soup <laughs> <laughs> two hours and 15 minutes i'm making soup <laughs> Apparently, we're gonna tune in and watch that. Was it good soup? Those vegetables. Was it good? Was that? Was the? Was the? great. I still have another two uh, large containers in the in the freezer. Nice. So I'm saving that for later. It was very tasty. Nice. So, like, you're you're doing just so our listeners understand. You're 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 also live streaming mass and you're live streaming uh, like other devotions and things yeah, like that. The main things, the, the soup was a one-time thing. I'm just joking. <laughs> but uh, the, the main things we've been doing at our parish is we uh, started live streaming the mass every day, um, as well as the Sundays, obviously. 
And then, um, and we have adoration in the morning. So we always start off with an hour of adoration. Uh, we pray chapel to divine mercy on the weekdays and the rosary on Sundays, uh, followed by mass. And then in the evenings, our general norm for weekdays has been, um, we, we pray evening prayer together, Father Tom and I. Uh, he's the, he's the, he will be the pastor officially. He's the administrator right now. Uh, but he's, um, him and I pray evening prayer together and we live stream that. And then afterward, we're doing a thing called spiritual reading. So it's basically we're going through right now, um, introduction to the devout life by St. Francis de Sales. And we're just reading through it chapter by chapter and discussing it. And there's like live comments in between. So we're interacting with people and taking questions. Um, for the most part, people have just been kind of like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's not a whole lot of real discussion, but between Father Tom and I, at least we're discussing it. And so, uh, yeah. that's been, that's been fruitful and, and nice as well. Yeah. Um, and then, and then just other things in between, like we're going to be actually doing a retreat coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when is this podcast coming out? In two weeks. Okay. So it'll be done by then. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you can still rewatch it if you want. We were doing, uh, we're doing a retreat coming on this Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, where we're uh, combining with um, uh, Father Patrick Benito and Father Paul Kim, and they'll do two days, and Father Tom and I will do two days, and we'll each like take one a turn each, giving a talk, uh, and so that's over on KeepFaith.ca. Um, that's it's targeted a little more towards we're trying to get at people who maybe aren't watching any of the other stuff we're doing. So it's kind of targeted a little more at people who are a little more on the fringes. So we're going to kind of, it's, it's an evangelization effort. Um, though that doesn't mean there's not going to be some good stuff, even for seasoned faith, uh, faithful followers, but, um, that's sort of the main aim for that. Yeah. So it's more of like an evangelization yeah. effort than, uh, than a catechetical thing, you'd say. Yeah. 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 So, but I mean, it'll have, yeah, I don't think it'll be very catechetical. We're kind of addressing in many ways, just how to, how to keep the faith in this unique point in history. So, uh, when you're stuck at home and you're not connected to church or anything else, what are some ways that we can do that? And so, uh, the talks are like, I think Father Paul's talking a bit about divine mercy. Um, Father Patrick is, Oh, I can't remember what he's talking about. Father Tom, I think, is talking about um, uh, an aura at labora kind of thing, and um, and I'm going to be talking about the Eucharist and presence. I think is what I'm going to call the talk, mm-hmm. and just talking about like the the need for sacramental presence and how what what do we do that we don't have that right now? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> how do we address that uh, lack of that? physical kind of aspect and why it's important and that sort of stuff. Nice. Nice. I saw the uh the advertisement today on Instagram, I think. Yeah. It was for yeah, I think their Instagram is GS Lakeshore. I think that's for Good yeah. Shepherds Parish. Yeah. Anyway. Good yeah. Shepherd, yeah. So I saw that. That was very cool. Um yeah. So so you and Father Tom just also for our are more tratty listeners. The the two of you both are are trained in the the extraordinary form uh, mm-hmm. of the mass. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in where you guys are now, it's not really something that because there's already an established Latin mass community down there, correct? In Windsor, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the assumption, yeah. Okay, uh, so part of the reason why uh, I wanted to. Uh, have you on was because I was watching it. It seems like you're constantly being thrown into these retreats. Um, but you're, you, you and Father <laughs> Tom just, just finished a retreat a week ago or so. Um, yeah. in terms of, and the theme was around, uh, Easter Triduum and, um, how to, uh, how to prepare. And, uh, you gave a really good talk. I really, really enjoyed it. And it was preparing for Triduum in your heart, right? Yeah. Preparing our hearts for Christ during the, uh, or the Triduum. Yeah. 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 Um, but I, I feel like the, the heart of that talk doesn't just apply to Triduum. Uh, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, I feel like the heart of that talk, uh, it, 
it doesn't just apply to you know the the days before Easter, but really uh, throughout all 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 the year. What were some of the main points from from that talk that that you shared? So um, some of the main points were that uh, I mean, I first was addressing how um, looking at the example of the disciples and as they were going through the period of the Lord's Passion um, and how just prior to that, because we had the when when I when we gave this retreat, we did it on uh, on the Monday just after um, Palm Sunday. Passion Sunday. And so I was thinking about how, you know, here are the disciples who have received the Lord and welcomed him in, you know, they're waving palms. And that, that was a sign for, you know, if you're not uh, familiar with the Old Testament kind of connection, um, carrying the palms and putting, laying down the palms and having a man go across on a donkey was something that was in reference to King David. Uh, because so it was uh, ushering in a king. And so the fact that they were doing this for Jesus was saying they were acknowledging him as king. They were celebrating him as king. They were saying, here is the rightful king of Israel, the king of the line of David, who is coming in and he is going to save us. And so they obviously had this idea of salvation in mind, this great hope in mind of what he was going to do. But we see very quickly afterward how fast they're scattered. And how the idea that they had in their minds of the hope of what Jesus was supposed to be doing, because they were looking in a very earthly sense, that Jesus completely turned all of that on its head. And he, and, and so much so that they lost their hope initially and thought, you know, what, what is, what's happened? You know, like it's, he's just gone. Um, it's funny, even, even hearing the stories of the resurrection afterward, we're going through those readings in mass right now. And um, as you're going through those readings, you see how they're they're so stunned by the tomb is empty, and uh, w- like what's what's going on? And some people said they saw him, and that he's, he's he rose from the dead, and I, I don't know what's. And then Jesus appears, and they're like, "It's a ghost," you know. Like they still don't really believe he's risen from the dead. And he's like, "No, no, come on, touch my hands, touch my side, come see that it's me." And then they do it. And then he's like, he can tell they're still not sure. So he's like, okay, give me a fish. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let me, let me have some food. Like I, I, obviously there's a lot of convincing that needs to happen here. They're just so, but there's no precedent really. Um, not, not anything in recent history or, or memory to, to make them really acknowledge that this is like, what is this? Right. Um, so what, what the point, the point that I was making more so, I've got a little off topic, but. <laughs> um, the point that I was mostly getting to in my homily, uh, my homily, my retreat talk was that, uh, as they're going through, um, the period of suffering, Jesus never, uh, denies that suffering. Jesus never runs away from that suffering. Um, he does say, you know, Lord, if I could, you know, man, if I could not drink from this cup, um, you know, that might be great, but <laughs> not my will, but your will be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know I'm, I'm paraphrasing horribly, but, um, <laughs> the message translation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the father's terrible translation. <laughs> mm. But the point is that he completely submitted himself to the way of the cross, to the suffering and the agony in the garden. The fact that he received, uh, and, and, all of the sin of the world, all of the pain, all of the suffering, he was united to the whole world throughout history. And that he took all of that on was, you know, stressed to the point of uh, undergoing anxiety and suffering to the point of sweating drops of blood. Um, that all of that he was experiencing and he never, he never turned away from it. He never ran from it. The apostles did. They scattered and they ran and they went everywhere and they, they left. Um, but in order for Jesus to make that way towards the resurrection, he had to fully embrace the suffering. And, and I think that's the hardest thing that we find as human beings is when we're suffering, when we're looking for hope, we often place our hope in the idea of, I just hope something good will happen. You know, I hope this will just be over soon. 
um, even when you're, you know, if you're sick or something like that, or you're dying and, and in the moment, you're just like, I'm in a lot of pain and you know, all you can do is just hope. I hope it'll be done. I hope it'll be done. I hope it'll be done. That's not what Jesus hoped. That's not how he hoped. He embraced the suffering in the moment. And his hope was in knowing that that suffering was redemptive and that it was transformative. Um, and the hope was ultimately, well, it's, it's in God. So we're not called to like, you know, muster all of our strength and just be like, okay, I'm going to really hope and wish the best in this situation and I'll grit my teeth and get through it. We're not. I don't think we're called to like grit our teeth and just get through it. We're called to, uh, to hand everything over to God, to unite ourselves to him and his suffering so that he suffers with us and as us, that we're so bound up in his life on the cross and his passion and his death that then we also receive his hope. We receive his life. We receive his resurrection, you know, um, as it says in the scriptures, if we die with him, so we shall rise with him, right? Um, and it's that, it's that simple truth, which is a letting go of trying to cope with it of our own power. That's really the mark of, I think, of where Christian hope leads. So we, we don't say like, I'm just waiting for the time as I'm saying, like, you know, when is COVID-19 going to be over? When do we get to come out of our houses? I would like a timeline, please. You know, can you write it down <laughs> and give me the date when I can go back to normal and everyone's going to stop being sick and everything's going to be fine? Um, you know, when is there going to be a vaccine? When is there going to be um, uh, better tests or something like that? Or, you know, all the little earthly things we have hope in and we're trying to, we're hoping that uh, scientists and businessmen and, and people in government and like all kinds of different people are going to eventually manage to pull everything together so that life can go back to normal. And the essential point that, that I was making was that there, we need to not look at a future to say, I want to get back to normal. Right now, this is normal. As much as that sucks to hear, <laughs> and it and it and it might not we not might not want to feel that way. This is normal because this is life. This is where we're at, and there's been darker points in history. You know, um, this is not the the worst. This is not the darkest of all timelines. You know, <laughs> like um, right now, we are um, in a period of absence. We are in a period of um, solitude. And it's, it's something that we need to just, uh, unite ourselves to Christ to ask him for his strength, to trust in him as our hope so that we're not trying to rely on when somebody else is going to make it over. So we're not, we're not asking when will it be done? We're asking Lord be with me now. So it's, it's a very different thing. You're not the in something. There is a hope in the future. Obviously, we have a hope in the future resurrection. We have a hope of, you know, one day we will die. And, and there's a hope in that. <laughs> one day we will die. Uh, so that hopefully we can be joined with the saints in heaven. But there's a hope now in the present. And that hope is, 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 uh, lit by what we know that God wants for us, but also how he loves us in the present. And so there was, um, a quote. Let me see if I have the, uh, here, right here. So from Space Salvi, uh, this was an encyclical by Pope Benedict XVI that he wrote on Christian hope. And he said, uh, faith is not merely a personal reaching out towards things to come that are still totally absent. It gives us something. It gives us even now something of the reality we are waiting for. And this present reality constitutes for us a proof of the things that are still unseen. Faith draws the future into the present so that it is no longer simply a not yet. The fact that this future exists changes the present. The present is touched by the future reality, and thus the things of the future spill over into those of the present and those of the present into those of the future. So I think uh, that speaks very well about how hope 
uh, changes us, how it transforms us. So even knowing what is to come, knowing the love of God of the future, um, uh, changes how we are in the present. So it actually makes a different reality. And so it makes us acknowledge that the suffering that we're going through, any of those things that we're dealing with, are not uh, things that are merely something to just get by or deal with, but are rather um, there's there's a great blessing that can come out of it if it's if it's lived properly, if it's united with Christ. Um, <laughs> my dog just suddenly growled at me. <laughs> <laughs> she just wants to be picked up she is not happy that i'm ignoring her right now <laughs> all right <laughs> okay so where were we so yeah no you're talking about how like the the virtue of hope essentially like brings that hope for the future into the present yeah um I, I was I was reading a couple things today, and uh, I was reading in particular Dietrich von Hildebrand in his book um, called Transformation in Christ. He says, "Let me just try to find it here." Like he was talking with regards to things like um, trusting in God that He will He will provide for our needs. Um, he says, as regards the outward concerns of life in particular, the Gospels again admonish us to put our trust in God. The Lord says, quote, Behold the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor do they reap, nor gather into their barns, and your heavenly Father feedeth them. End quote, Matthew 6.26. The reference is, above all, to the spirit of poverty. We are warned to preserve our inner freedom, to which our concern about our properly property may easily become a menace. Our attention is drawn to the impossibility of serving two masters. Besides that, however, these words of Christ also exhort us to have confidence in God, to put away that cramped attitude, the anxiety to provide everything one may ever need by one's own labor and foresight, to avoid being enslaved by our concern and worry even about the real necessities of life goes on to say he makes mention of saint benedict and he says you know he who has vowed holy poverty shall indeed believe that god who has sent a raven to feed saint benedict in the hermitage of subiaco will provide food and shelter for him one of the things that i think the virtue of hope kind of disposes us to is that and we talk about this actually in uh what will be uh our episode from last week um Mm -hmm. I talk with Christine uh, about that virtue of detachment that, you know, especially in times like this, detachment is like the surfboard that allows us to be able to surf the over the concerns and the worries of life. It doesn't mean that the worries and whatnot aren't there, um, nor, nor that they might knock you down once in a while. Um, but, you know, with practice, um, having a, a spirit of detachment really is, you know, allows you to be propelled by hope into, um, yeah, into, into a greater freedom. I think, especially right now, I think a lot of us may be struggling with the fear of, like you were saying, when is this going to end? Uh, mm-hmm. what is the, the, um, the status of my employment, uh, what's going to happen to my family, to my friends, uh, to, you know, my friends who and family who might be sick, uh, you know, all of these things. And again, it's mm-hmm. not saying like a, in a, like a Buddhist kind of way of just kind of being completely devoid of any emotion or whatnot. Um, it's not, we're not saying that. And we're also not saying, in a like a or I'm not saying in a like a moralist therapeutic deist way of you know God will just take care of me and you know just kind of without concern you know without any kind of action I guess the word is go mm-hmm. into life um it's kind of that happy median between the two you know of trustful confidence that God will care for you 
um, and doing what you can in the midst of it. But yeah, not just letting the anxiety take over. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think a big part of it is not, uh, we're not saying that, um, like Christian hope does not dismiss any of the present concerns. It doesn't yeah. say, oh, it's irrelevant. It doesn't say, oh, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You know, like I hate it when people say, like, oh, oh you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You don't yeah. know that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I won't. You know, that's, that's not the kind of hope to put things in, but rather it's saying you acknowledge full face the worries and the concerns. Um, and you address them head on, but you address them head on through Christ. You don't say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. You say, Lord, help me get through this. Right. And you just keep, and, and, and sometimes it's a lot of asking and you have to sit with it and sit with it and sit with it and sit with it. The Lord's passion wasn't over, you know, instantaneously. Um, he suffered a good long while and a great deal before, um, you know, the end of it was seen. And, uh, but he, and it's, and it doesn't mean that he didn't suffer or anything. Yeah. No, the, um, the new catechism. Okay. The way that they, they talk about hope, right? Is they talk about hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit, I think that's incredibly true. You know, because yeah. again, at the end of the day, this early earthly life with all of its pleasures and all of the things that are good and inherently good in it, mm-hmm. you know, like our health and like our family life and all of that, all of that is it will pass away. Um, yeah, and and in the end, it's it's God that that we're left with. Right. And, yeah. and that's really, I mean, and that's everything. That's everything. Yeah, and the, all these other things are not our end. They're not our right. reason for happiness. They may contribute to our overall contentment and well-being, but our happiness is ultimately lies in Christ. Right. So yeah, to say like, you know, having my job or having good health or having family or other things like that, uh, they're, they're not irrelevant. Uh, they're important, but they are not, the ultimate importance. Right. Right. Yeah. In the, in the next section, it goes on to say, so I'm in 18, 17, 18, 18. It says, um, the virtue of hope responds to the aspiration to happiness, which God has placed in the heart of every man. It takes up the hopes that inspire men's activities and purifies them. So as to order them to the kingdom of heaven, it keeps man from discouragement it sustains him during times of abandonment. It opens up his heart in expectation of eternal beatitude. Buoyed up by hope, he is preserved from selfishness and led to the happiness that flows from charity. I also did a a, a quick read from uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, and I, I think this kind of lends to that, because I, I was thinking like, okay, so how do we know we have hope or how, how do we respond adequately to that virtue of hope? And he talks about um, in his book guide to contentment, he talks about uh, the need for cheerfulness and he says, Mm -hmm. cheerfulness is that quality which enables one to make others happy. It takes its origin half in personal goodness and half in the belief of the personal goodness of others. It is the opposite of the morbid, the morose, the fretful, the grumbling, the somber. But on the other hand, cheerfulness is not necessarily mirth. Mirth is short and transient, while cheerfulness is fixed and permanent. Mirth is like a flash of lightning, cheerfulness like daylight. A merry person laughs, a cheerful person smiles. Mirth always requires the companionship of others to feed upon. Social excitement, noise, jests, wisecracks, stories. But cheerfulness exists even when one is alone. That is why cheerful people very often sing to themselves. He goes on to say, The cheerful person always (laughs) sees in any present evil some prospective good. In pain, he sees a cross from which will issue a resurrection. In trial, he finds correction and discipline and an opportunity to grow in wisdom. 
In sorrow he gathers patience and resignation to the will of God. In all things there is thankfulness. Yeah. I mean, I think there's that tendency right now for us to not really be present. Um, like I was listening to a talk from Liv Harrison, um, who's doing, uh, uh, who did a talk for the Be Not Afraid conference, um, that Stacey Summerow is putting on. And she said how essentially so many of us are living our lives mentally in February 2020 and it's <laughs> April 2020. You know, we're like you were saying, we, we want to know when it's going to go back to normal, but. Yeah. This is this is this is the normal. Yeah. This is You're the here right now. Yeah. So the question is how do we adequately adequately respond in this moment to the circumstances of this moment? You know. So that was um another point that I um made in my retreat talk as well as that there's um hope is a is a virtue. So as a virtue, it's something that involves practice and involve, it's a habit. You know, virtues come from a, a habit that you have in doing good. So for us to really, uh, I mean, there's hope that is received as grace, uh, but there's also hope in practice. And so we have to, um, become acquainted with how to hope, uh, to be accustomed with being hopeful. Uh, so to do that, like any other building of a habit, you have to behave differently. You have to act differently. So um, you're probably not going to be terribly hopeful if you, uh, uh, you know, go to bed extremely late, wake up who knows when in the day, uh, frump around in your pajamas, um, you know, haphazardly go about and randomly, you know, make food whenever, I don't know, and uh, maybe do or don't really say hi to your family, uh, depending if you live alone or if you're with others. Um, you know, you don't really do much interaction. You just kind of lays around so watching TV or watching Netflix. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, any, if, if, if you're living like that from a purely humanistic practical sense, you're probably not going to be all that inspired to have hope. Um, because you're living in a way that says it doesn't matter. And my life doesn't matter and nothing really matters. So, I mean, I'm using a bit of an extreme example, but I think that's something that we're all kind of uh, running uh, head on with. But we have to look at other things as well, you know. So, first of all, just some of those basic human needs need to be tended to first, because uh, we can't get to the spiritual needs unless we address the basic human needs first. Um, and then you start saying, okay, what am I doing my prayer? Am I making sure to give that time in prayer on a regular basis every day? Um, am I seeking out reading the scriptures? You know, something as simple as that to read about what did Christ do? How did he speak? How did he live? His passion, death, and resurrection. Read the end of the gospels. That's a very good thing to look at. Read Acts. You know, Acts is full of that transformative hope of demonstrating what happened when Christ uh, uh, was alive in his people for the first time, when they really finally got it, you know, where you look at, you see the difference of the disciples before as they're waving their palm branches and they're thinking he's going to be some kind of political savior. And then they're out there uh, being like condemned and told, stop talking about it and thrown into prison. And they don't care. They just keep on going. So, you know, Praying through those things, asking the Lord to help us speak to your heart through it, um, inviting those moments of grace. Um, you know, you can't do anything like, you know, obviously most places around the world right now, you can't receive the sacraments, unfortunately. So you can't depend on that in this moment. But we also have to remember, and this is something I was thinking about recently, is that, um, that when we receive the Eucharist, um, every time we, um, I, I can't remember where I read this, whether this is from the saints or just a general tradition in the church, but um, when we receive the Eucharist, uh, the Lord sustains us by that Eucharist until the next time that we can receive again. So typically that would be from Sunday to Sunday or 
if you're coming to daily mass until the next daily mass or whatever, uh, for whenever the next time it is that you're going to receive. Um, so that would be normally on a week by week basis, at least. Um, but now it's just an extended period of time. And there are points in the church history in which people are deprived of the sacraments, where the church goes underground and whatnot. And it's not like the Lord says, well, because you can't receive the Eucharist right now, yes, I'm just going to not sustain you, you know? Um, the Lord can uh, uh, sustain us ongoing, always. Um, actually, you know what? I think I know where the reference is from that I'm thinking of, is it would be actually in the Catechism, um, or, or where it's referring to when we receive the Eucharist, um, we're not to receive the Eucharist more than twice a day. <laughs> because part of the problem that was being seen is that people felt like, if I have to be receiving the Eucharist constantly, so I'll go to Mass, to Mass, to Mass, to Mass, and people would be hopping all day from Mass to Mass to Mass. And the church was saying, really, it suffices to go once. And, and you can go twice if necessary, but you don't need more than that because you need to trust that the Lord will sustain you from Eucharist to Eucharist. And not that if you're not receiving constantly, it's as though you're somehow deprived of the Lord. Uh, so right now, the period of time is just longer. It's just a bigger period of time. So um, we need to trust that God is sustaining us and that he is giving us that strength in the meantime. And, uh, and, and, then, and then we just have to think about what practices are we doing in my life? You know, what are things that are going on? Like, obviously, if I'm living in uh, a particular sin um, and that is weighing me down, that's going to be very hard to enter into hope. And I know one of the other challenges in most places, as is in our diocese, right now, uh, confessions are not being heard. And so, um, you know, you may be in a position where you're even in mortal sin and thinking, what do I do? You know, and it's really, it's really weighing down on my ability to hope. Normally, the solution to this would be go to confession right away. Um, but because that is not the situation, um, what we need to do is uh, make an act of contrition um, and make so with all full honesty and recognize you'll be able to get to confession eventually, hopefully. Um, and that if, you know, if for some reason you can't, um, I think this would be a kind of an extreme situation in which the Lord is merciful because he understands you have a great desire to go to confession and would want to. And if for some reason you were unable to and no priest would see you on your deathbed, God forbid, um, that they should know. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to that situation, I think most places are still allowing uh, confessions in that kind of situation. But you might be in a hospital in which they won't even let you contact your priest. This is, sorry, this is a bit of a side note, but if you find yourself or you know of anyone who's in a situation in the hospital where they're sick, and possibly dying, um, a lot of hospitals may not even refer you to a priest. You may have to do all the action on your part to find a way to connect with them because they may not even let us in there. Uh, some places are more um, particular about that than others. Um, so you may have to um, find a way to like step out of the hospital or something. Uh, to do what you can to get an anointing, to get a confession, to uh, receive the Eucharist, all of those things, um, you may have to you may have to really push for it. Um, but do push for it. Do try everything you can to make it possible. Um, it's more so just a heads up because I have no idea how bad things are going to get in the in the future and and what what things may get loosened or not. But anyway, sorry, that's a bit of a side note, but I just. I think it's important for people to know. Um, but that still, if you're, if you're in a situation in which your heart is, you have, uh, uh, have those mortal sins and there's nothing that you can do for right now in terms of getting to confession, um, that um, it doesn't mean you can't pray. And I think this is something that's useful to know. Um, and, and, I'll be, and I'll be honest, I've, been, I've had dark periods of my life um, where I felt really, really far into despair, deep into sin and thinking I'm worthless and I'm not, 
good enough. And I, I'm, I, and I felt totally disconnected from God. I felt so ashamed to come before him. Um, and I often, it was almost like there was this wall mentally. And I've, I think other people have experienced this too, where if you're particularly uh, darkened by mortal sin, that you feel as though, um, you can't even start to approach God until you've gone to confession. And there's a certain, it's understandable because you want to be reconciled and you want to find that that place of um, receiving forgiveness first before you can enter back into that conversation with God. But at the same time, the ironic thing is we can't do anything without God, even asking him for forgiveness. And if we think that I can't communicate with God at all, if I'm in the state of mortal sin until I've gone to reconciliation, I'm missing the fact that he's the one motivating me to go to reconciliation. The Lord is still loving us, even in the depths of mortal sin. And the Lord is still calling to us and trying to reach out to us in those times. He wants us to be reconciled, and that's very, very important. But I think we also need to not avoid prayer. I think it's the time we need most prayer. And it's very challenging to do when you're not accustomed to it because you might feel so guilty and ashamed and other, other emotions can kind of come up and, and feel like, how can I come and approach him right now? But what you can acknowledge is that there's the Lord is, because the Lord knows that you're going to be going to confession <laughs> and he's going to forgive you. Um, he sees time differently. And he also, in his love for you, is absolute. It's not like he's holding off on loving you. What it is is that your heart is blocked off because, um, because of whatever you may have done. And so the invitation from the Lord is still there. His love is still there. It is still real. And so the, the best we can do in those moments is, and we should do this anyway on a regular basis, even when the world is not on fire, um, that we should immediately, when we commit a mortal sin, immediately come to the Lord, say, Lord, I'm sorry for these sins, specifically outline it, speak to him directly, um, and make an act of contrition and ask the Lord to forgive us. Now, this doesn't mean we have not had sacramental confession yet, and you still go to <laughs> sacramental confession. But do this as well, because it is what will set you more quickly on the path towards returning to God and to being able to open yourself to His grace, rather than I think the temptation can be if you are, especially if you have a self-destructive personality, which I think often happens when uh, a person is in the depths of consistent mortal sin, is that you're in a state of sin and you go, well, I've got X amount of time before I can get to confession. What does it matter? And in, you know, until that time, and then you sort of enter into a sin of presumption of, I might as well just keep sinning because I already have to go to confession. And just think about how messed that up that is, that line of thinking, right? But we don't, we don't think of it that way. We don't realize like the, how self-destructive that kind of tendency is. And um, so really, the, the approach we should have is immediately, Lord, please forgive me. Help me to start over again. I will come to confession to a priest as soon as I can to be reconciled sacramentally between you and the church. But in the meantime, I want to start fresh. I want to start new. And you make that firm resolution right then and there not to sin again, just as you would do when you're going to confession. Um, and, uh, and if need be, you know, write those things down, <laughs> whatever sins you have, so that when you go to confession, you can more easily bring them forward, not have to sit there thinking forever. What was the litany of things that I had to confess? Um, but I think that's something that will help a great deal because it coming back to that idea of hope, if we're stuck, if we're stuck forever in the um, in the sin, 
and just sitting in the sin, it festers. It's like a person who gets up in the middle of the afternoon and doesn't get dressed and doesn't eat properly and doesn't bother doing anything because you enter into a spiritual sloth. It's acedia. You just say, what's the point? And it's even more dangerous. I mean, it's very dangerous in a physical sense, but it's even more dangerous in a spiritual sense because it just compounds sin. And, and we can't enter into hope. We can't receive hope or be a people who are hopeful and joyful if we just sit and fester in our own filth. So I hope, I hope that makes yeah. sense. No, it, it definitely does. I mean, I think you bring up some valu- very valuable points with regards to the impacts that, that sin, and in particular mortal sin, but I think really even repeated intentional venial sin uh, mm-hmm. can, can cause, you know, one being the darkening of the intellect, I think that that yeah. definitely happens, right? So, like you were saying, those excuses that we make, oh, well, I'm already here, might as well just stay here. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I'm, al- <laughs> I'm already playing in the mud, why not just keep rolling around in it? And, um, like, I do that quite often, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Not, not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but... The Julie's like, Chris, it's time for your bath. <laughs> no, Julie. <laughs> Chris rolls around the mud some more. <laughs> um yeah, no, like even just with regards to I think with with you know, acedia. Um, I think acedia right now is one of the big temptations of yeah, of the time because not not mm-hmm. just uh you know in in our modern age, I think it, it really is, um, especially during the time of Corona, there's that temptation to big time despair, despair of God's goodness, despair of God's affection for us. And there can be like that. Yeah. That just, uh, that spiritual sadness that, uh, can just kind of creep in and mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think at this time there's there's a big invitation for us to potentially reevaluate those things and those mentalities that we've had and those those idols, those pachamamas <laughs> that, <laughs> that we've had in our All of the pachamamas that we got out. <laughs> That's right. That we got to kick off the bridge. Oh, there's so many. I'm sorry, it's a sidebar, but how are there so many of them? Like that was the thing that threw me off when they when that guy was throwing them in the river. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, there's so many. And there's apparently a whole bunch more. Like, how many pachamamas do we make? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Gotta yeah. fill every corner of every church with a pachamama. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did did you no. know that guy that that knocked the the Pachamamas off actually got coronavirus? I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy. I don't know how he is now. I haven't heard anything. A lot better. He's a lot better now. Oh, but that's good. Yeah. No. But anyway, like, so yeah. I mean, for us right now, practically speaking, what what do you think we need to do to be able to hold on to hope and to grow in that virtue? when we're stuck at home? Well, um, one thing (laughs) on a very basic human level is routine. Um, One of the things that I've noticed uh, has helped me immensely um, is the fact that Father Tom and I have been so occupied with trying to, keeping ourselves active and thinking, what can we do? Um, How can we serve? How can we reach out to God's people? Um, So, Every day is, we've set ourselves a schedule where every day, you know, we're getting up like we normally would for work. Um, we are, you know, working together, we're praying together, uh, we're eating together, we're, you know, so we've got like a little, some community happening in the house. Now, not everyone has that. There are some people who are stuck all by themselves at home. But if you do have community in your house, uh, to treat your house almost like it's a, a little monastery. Uh, you know, you've got your own little community. Obviously, it's going to be different. You're not going to have silence in the house all the time. Uh, um, but 
you know, to think of doing some time of prayer together, uh, taking some time to do just activities and whatnot together to lead a, uh, as, as normal and healthy, a, a regular kind of life as you can that you'd be used to. And then, you know, that from the, the natural perspective, but then as well, also looking at how can you, um, how can you grow in your prayer? Um, I know it's, I mean, it sounds like a very simple thing and it probably kind of is more simple than we might think it would be. Um, but really to, to, to make sure that you have very much scheduled into your day time of prayer and meditation. Um, your time of, so like uh, what I mean by meditation is like meditative prayer, like the saints speak of, of uh, contemplation of just being in silence with the Lord, uh, sitting before the face of God, uh, reading through the scriptures, you know, reflecting on them, imagining yourself in those situations, like what it would be like to be there. What is the Lord speaking to you through it? Um, just being in love with him. And, I, and, and these are all things that you can do on your own <laughs> and actually are better to do on your own. I mean, there's, there's some prayer that's good to do with your family and other people, but if you're stuck by yourself or even if you're not, uh, find somewhere you can squirrel away on your own in your house that you can have some solitude as much as it might feel like I've got enough solitude already. You know, I'm not really seeking it out. And um, I think that isolation is different from solitude. Uh, isolation is we're cutting people and everything off because we're trying to stay healthy from a physical sense. Um, and in a spiritual sense, isolation would be cutting ourselves off from God. Solitude is finding that place where uh, we discover God deep within, that we acknowledge the closeness of his presence and is, is, is uh, how close he's united to us. The fact that, you know, you can even think about reflecting on how my very existence is held in the balance because of God. That if he stopped thinking of me for a moment, poof, I would just cease to be. You know, I'm sustained entirely by him. I am his act of love is what is keeping me here. Him loving me into constant ongoing existence. That is why I'm here. So that kind of incredible close uh, connection with God, thinking of how he sustains our very being, um, and we depend upon him for everything, the more we start to recognize that and acknowledge that extreme closeness and love of God, uh, the more we enter into that uh, deep silence, that deep, um, joyful place where we find God. You know, we, we see him, we hear him, we acknowledge his love, and it grows. I mean, obviously, it's something that takes practice. If you're not used to meditative prayer, um, and you've never done that before, at first you're going to be swarmed with all of your thoughts and worries, and you'll probably be thinking immediately of like, when am I going to go back to work? <laughs> when, if, when is everything going to go back to work? All those things, the anxieties are going to just jump back into your mind. But you, you, you have to sit with it, and you have to bring those before the Lord. Um, and he, you keep bringing them to him and saying, Lord, I'm just going to hand it over to you. I'm going to hand it over to you. What are you, what are you trying to tell, tell me in this? Show me where there's hope in this. Help me to be able to let it go, not, not not let it go in the sense of stop caring about it or stop having concern about it because there may be things that you need to do, uh, but to say, how do you want me to rightly order this? Um, help me to first have you as the most important thing, and then you will be the framework for which I can then look at all these other things. Through you, I will love my family. Through you, I will be able to do work. Through you, I will evangelize. Through you, I will eat and sleep and drink and everything. You know, it's all through the Lord. Um, and and that's something that takes practice again. So you you start off really bad at it, but you keep doing it. You keep putting in the time and you keep um there's plenty of great spiritual works out there that you can read. Um, a lot of great, um, uh, you know, that's one of the things why we're doing the introduction to the devout life by St. Francis de Sales, because he talks about a lot of this stuff. So, um, which feel free, by the way, if you look up uh, St. Michael's Parish uh, uh, Facebook page in Leamington, 
um, if you scroll through our gazillions of videos, you'll see a bunch called spiritual reading. And those ones were just reading through introduction to devout life. You can get it online for free because it's out of copyright, most of it. So you can just find it for free out there. Um, that's a nice, simple, straightforward book. Um, but there's a lot of others out there. A lot of uh, great Carmelite saints like uh, Teresa of Avila. You can read Interior Castle. Uh, you can read, it's not really quite in the same vein, but I still love it, uh, Story of a Soul by St. Teresa of Lisieux. I think that um, I think she completely exemplifies what you're talking about, though. Yes, yes. Uh, it, it was. It's just, it's written in a very different kind of way. Yeah, yeah. But it is, it's very much an example of, of how to live that out um, in a very simple, ordinary kind of way. You know, if you want to get really deep, you want to maybe look at St. John the Cross and and uh, Dark Night of the Soul or uh, something like that. But there's a lot of there's a lot of works out there. One one book that I'd also recommend is um, Dr. Ralph Martin has a book called The uh, Fulfillment of All Desire, which is sort of like a compilation of he looks at all of these great spiritual masters and he um, draws the connection between them and sees like what are some uh, what is the commonality between them of how we grow in the spiritual life? But my point may basically being is if you, if you look on how, if you find some of these good texts that you can learn about how to grow in your prayer life, uh, work on that and just work on that. Uh, put in the effort, put in the time, do it, do at least something. Like even if you feel that's too hardcore for you and that's too much, at least do something. At least take 15 minutes a day. Um, I think probably it's easy for everyone to take at least half an hour a day. Um, but you know, everyone's life is different, <laughs> but, um, you know, doing something like that, I think is, is really going to help you to properly frame things in, in Christ. And without that prayer as the basis of everything to sustain you, it's, it's not going to happen. Word. That's, that's, that's the whole thing, really. Like the rest of it comes from God. Like there's not, there's not a, uh, a, a formula or something that I can give like this is do specifically X, Y, and Z. Like pray, look, ask God for the answers. You know, it's being with him. It's the intimacy with him that sustains us. And that's something you can do anywhere, whether you're alone, whether you're with others. I mean, that's what the saints would do. There's many examples of the saints who were um, in concentration camps in, uh, um, in prison, uh, uh, suffering, isolated, and alone, you know, um, like stories of people who were thrown in the, you know, in time of communism being thrown into like one of those solitary cells and you'd lose track of time. You'd have no idea how many months or years you'd been down there and no one ever talks to you. And all that would occasionally ha happen is food would show up. Even the light wouldn't change from like night to day. Like you'd have no clue what's going on. And yet some people were utterly sustained and found such joy and hope in those situations because they were communicating with God and they were allowing him into that cell in that little place. And there they were able to have real solitude and silence, um, one that was in union with God. So, it can so if, if if they can have it there, you can have it in your house in which you have the internet and many resources and many other <laughs> things out there. I can, you know, where you can learn more. So, yeah, uh, yeah true. No excuses. True. Um, I think maybe piggybacking off of that too is you know that reminder from Saint Teresa of Jesus, right? Who says that that the fruit of prayer is always good works. And so, if you're not sure how your prayer life is doing, look at whether you are really living in in the context that you're you're in, looking for ways to serve others in your family and mm -hmm. uh, and in your community in whatever in whatever way you can. Um, because yeah, I think yeah, you have to be able to you know. Um, Father Dominic talks about, you know, the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the and the Dead Sea, right? Mm -hmm. Is uh, you know, the Sea of Galilee has an outlet, but the the Dead Sea only brings water in. It doesn't yeah. 
put water out. And so, um, and our spiritual life is kind of like that, you know, like we have to be able to, to give that, uh, you know, that life to others. So, yeah. Which, which actually reminds me is, um, do consider thinking about how you even, even financially speaking, I mean, there's something of your, your time that's given. If you have ways that you can reach out to others, you know, even if it's just a phone call or voice chat or something with someone, but also in terms of financially, not to forget about uh, how are you how are you giving to uh, your church, your local church, to your um, you know what other other charities you may think that are in, in need right now. Um, to think about where you're giving in that regard too is one thing that's very important because we might kind of forget about some of that because we're, we're out of the normal context where we bump into some of those things. Um, and so we might not be thinking as much about those contributions. Um, but that's also important in terms of our, uh, how we, how we give of ourselves as well. Um, and, and, uh, um, obviously our, our financial situations are changing right now, um, as everyone's in more challenging situations, but, um, we don't want to st- Stop giving out of fear. Uh, we may not give as much, and we may give differently, but we don't want to just say, "I'm cutting that off entirely," just because I'm worried about what the future might hold. You know, remember the woman with who had just the two coins, right? <laughs> you know, she gave all she had, and so we, uh, you know, I'm not saying give absolutely everything up unless the Lord's telling you to do that. But I'm not going to be the discernment <laughs> the spiritual director on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but but I do think it's I think it's important that we don't forget where we're giving and uh, uh, make sure that that's still open. Right, right. Because there there can be that that tendency to self isolate in in every area of yeah. our life, right? And just hunker down and try to go into self preservation mode. Yeah, um, go like bury our cans of beans in the backyard. And- <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You got you got you got to quickly tell that story. <laughs> oh, it's the most hilarious thing. So I was reading on Reddit. Um there was this guy, poor guy, he no, I mean I I I don't advocate the living situation he was in, but he was living with his girlfriend and his uh, I think he dodged the ball on this one, but his girlfriend um one day he came home and he was decided he wanted to make a bean salad because apparently that's something people do. Uh, and he gets to goes to the cupboard, can't find any beans. And he's like, "Where are my beans?" And his girlfriend said, "Oh, I buried them out in the back." She's like, "Why?" And she says, "Well, you know, this coronavirus thing is going to get really, really bad, and so uh, I'm hearing there might be like thieves and things like that. People are going to break into houses to start stealing food. So I want to make sure like we're prepared." And he's like, "By." burying the beans in the backyard and she's like yeah then if we're really stuck you know we can eat the beans it's like it became this whole big thing where he's just like demanding give me the beans and she was like i will never reveal the beans (laughs) (laughs) and so so she left because <laughs> she said she was going to keep every time he bought beans, she was going to bury them in the backyard. <laughs> Why just the beans? I don't know. <laughs> so they end up breaking up because she yeah, they broke up over the beans. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it's the best story ever. I don't care if it's not true. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I love uh, that. Sorry, that was really good. That was really good. Awesome. Well, hey, maybe on that note, we'll uh, we'll end the <laughs> podcast. So, if you've got beans, don't bury them in the backyard for sure. Yeah. yeah. So apparently, they'll also corrode in the ground, so they won't even preserve in the ground. Yeah. Yeah. True that. True that. It's kind of like the burying <laughs> of the talents, right? Yeah. Um. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The Lord gave me two beans because I knew you were a harsh man. (laughs) 
mercy. <laughs> uh, that's great. Mirth. Mirth. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Father Steve, thanks so much for, for hanging out and uh, sharing yeah, your thoughts to, on the virtue of hope everybody. today. Um, so, yeah. So you said, uh, yeah, people can find the stuff that you're doing at St. Michael's Parish Leamington on Facebook, right? Yeah. If, well, you're, if you're having trouble finding it in a search, uh, if you go to our website, smpleamington.ca for St. Michael's Parish Leamington.ca, uh, we have it linked up there at the top and it has our schedule of our live stream right at the top of the page. Nice, nice. And you have a Instagram, right? We do. Um, and I believe it's just St. Michael's Parish, but um, I'm not the one running that one. No. That's Avery, so let me just take a quick check here. But but what oh, about no, your Instagram? Oh, my personal Instagram account. Yeah, so mine's just Father Steve Marsh, FR Steve Marsh, all one word, I think. Yeah, uh, awesome. Yep. For Steve Marsh. For Steve Marsh. Great. Yep. And uh, you can get all the updates on Carmel. and <laughs> You can watch my dog being cute <laughs> and see things that I've cut. Yes. Yeah. It's great. Um, it's not a very exciting Instagram account. Yeah. And then you also have a website, which is probably not updated. Oh, wow. I haven't updated that in forever. No, I really haven't. Cause we've been working so much on the St. Michael's parish website and then everything else. I, I think the last time I updated it was like over a year ago, Yeah, year and a half ago, okay. almost two years ago, two years ago now. Wow. So yeah, that's father Steve. Obsolete, but right? it's there and there's still content on it. Yeah. Father Steve.ca. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Sadly, slightly orange doesn't exist anymore. Oh, that is a sad story. I'm still waiting Dang. for you to upload the cartoons to YouTube. I'm still waiting. Oh, all the old ones. Yeah. 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 I, it's, <laughs> It might be difficult because of Adobe now has a subscription-based thing on their platform. Garbage. You can't just buy it outright anymore. I can't buy Flash. It, it drives me nuts because I just want to buy a, a somewhat updated copy so it can do um, update it to HTML5 uh, instead of Flash. But anyway, whatever. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Father Steve, thanks so much for hanging out. And again, thank you to everybody for listening to today's podcast. If you have not yet, we would love for you to subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you wherever you listen to great podcasts. Uh, if you are a fan of social media, as Father Steve and I clearly are, we'd love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Theology of the Buddy. You can email us at theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. All of our Past episodes and show notes can be found at theologyofthebuddy.com. Next week, uh, we're going to be getting back into our liturgical breakdown and talking about the mystical significance of the Missal. Uh, so you're not going to want to miss that. Um, so make sure you're subscribed so you know when it comes out. Episodes are released every Wednesday. So until then, stay tready. <laughs> <laughs>